there is a divine purpose in those words because we all can look in the mirror and see our shortcomings and we can see the areas of our life that need work and need help but you see the thing is he doesn't need you to be perfect he just needs you to be available and if you'll give him your availability he'll take his perfection mixed with your availability and he'll use that to change your world for the better Amen. And he'll, he'll use you to impact people and he'll put you in places and positions to have an impact on people, not because you're amazing, but because he's perfect and you're available and he'll use your availability to impact the world with his gospel and his power and his spirit. Amen. Peter was a sailor and we all know what sailors do, but you know what Peter was? When Jesus walked by, he was available. James and John were available. Just be available. And let his spirit work in you and through you and watch what he does in your life. He will open doors that only he can open because he said, I am the door. Amen. So today I wonder who in this place would one more time lift your hands and just express your availability to him. Lord, I'm available this morning to do whatever you call me to do. To be a willing vessel and an open heart and a life that is ready to step into action for you and to fulfill your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God is so good, amen. Turn to somebody around you and tell them that God is good. Man, and I want to let our Kid City go to their class this morning. Man, I feel the presence of the Lord here today. season of where and, and I don't I, ha, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, what I'm teaching what the Lord's put on my heart on our, our midweek services are on trials or storms and understanding the difference uh, whether I'm in a trial or whether I'm in a storm because the response matters and it's what we've been talking about in our midweek uh, Bible study and uh, it, it's it's incredible that as we started that uh, was about the time we entered into this season of thunderstorms. And uh, last night I was laying there and my wife and I were, actually we were sitting in the living room and uh, all of a sudden we heard thunder. And you're like, whoa. And I looked at her, she goes, I didn't even know we were supposed to get a storm. You know, and I thought, you know what, it's just like our lives. 
we're just sitting there, you know, we're just, life is good, and all of a sudden, thunder strikes, and we're like, I didn't even know there was a chance of a thunderstorm, amen, and all of a sudden, you watch as the sky darkens, and, and you watch the radar of your life, and the dark red area comes right through your life and lightning's flashing and thunder and the dogs are yelping because it scared them to death and the kids are waking up and all that. You're like, man, where did this storm come? But you see, let me tell you this. The, the good thing is this. That storm was over about midnight, a little after midnight. And the storm that has surfaced in your life is only temporary. Amen. It's only temporary. And you're like, this is the longest temporary I have ever experienced in my life. But I, I promise you, storms are seasonal. Storms come and go. They're carried in and out with the wind. And so if you find yourself in a thunderstorm spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, however, if life has just brought a thunderstorm, just understand, just stand strong. Because as quick as it came, it's going to leave. Amen. Amen. Because because I know this. I made this statement Wednesday night. I made this statement. By, it was actually Charles Swindoll made it. And he, he made the statement. He says, everything under God's control is never out of control. And I pass that on to you. I want you to understand everything that is under God's control is never out of control. Have you ever, have you ever had the thought run through your mind? My Lord, my life is out of control. Have you ever told somebody that? It's out of control. It's chaos. Well, look at somebody. Look at your neighbor, the one you're sitting beside, and tell them, I am not out of control. You know why you're not out of control? You know why your life's not out of control? Because he's in control. And if he's not in control today, you're in the right place. You're in the right place because today you can relinquish the reins and give him complete control and he'll take the reins and he'll take control. And when he's in control, it's never out of control. Amen. I have amazing in-laws and uh, my wife's family is incredible, but she's got a sister that is, she, her, her sister loves chaos. You know somebody like that? They just exist to dwell in chaos. And if they, they, they don't, if there's peace, man, they're going to stir the pot to create chaos. Amen. And I, I know this. Life is chaotic enough. Amen. And so I encourage you that if you'll just give God control, he'll speak peace to the storm. He'll calm the waves. Amen. He'll strengthen you, and you can continue to walk in his perfect will and purpose for your life. Amen. Amen. Just a little side note. Amen. So good to have all of you here today. I want to thank you for coming. Oh, good. So good to have my friend Corey Broussard helping us with worship. Amen. I'm doing an awesome job. Uh, his, he is on loan. He is on loan from Northgate Church up in North Richland Hills. His pastor is a friend of mine, and uh, his pastor has loaned him to us, and so we appreciate him being willing to come and, and just lead us in worship. And uh, 
It was, it's just a, amen, a, a, a treat to have him, amen. Today, I don't know, I, 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 obviously there's a title and a graphic, and so technically it's a sermon, right? If we have a title and a graphic, it's a sermon. That's, that's what, that's what I'm, you know, supposed to know. Um, but I, today, I don't know that it's necessarily a sermon that I feel, um, what I feel is to just something that God has been putting in my life uh, for months now. Have you ever have you ever had red irritated eyes? Anybody ever had your, your eyes either get sand in them or you've got allergies and your eyes get all red and irritated? And you take this little bottle of visine and put a few drops in your eyes and it clears up. You know, it washes away the, the, the irritation, and it clears up the redness, and you're like, oh, that's what God's been doing in my life. In, in my, in, in, because I, I don't know where the irritation came from, but I felt myself getting, getting irritated, and I'm just being transparent here this morning. I wasn't irritated at you, but I was just irritated in general, right? I got irritated, and there, I felt this redness and this irritation come into my life, and over the past several months, I feel like God has just been dropping visine into my spirit, and I can understand that the irritation, I, I see the irritation. I feel the irritation going away. I feel the redness going away and the swelling going away. And as the song says, I can see clearly now. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. That song is, it's messed up because I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. I'd rather not see the obstacles. (laughs) And I'd rather not. (laughs) Don't show me the obstacles. Because we're going to hit them anyways. But anyways, I've, and this is what God's been doing is for almost five years now since we've been in Weatherford, I have, I have driven through this city. I've driven through the streets of this city. I have, uh, me and my family have eaten at restaurants, and we have uh, shopped here. We have grocery shopped here. We have went to coffee joints, and we have went to donut shops, and we have uh, went to the bank, and we have... Uh, I have worked here. I have been in the homes and in the streets and, um, and all that, you know, that's just life, right? We go about our daily, but for almost five years now, I've been, we've been doing that. And as I've, as I've passed people on the street and as I've sat next to them in restaurants and stood behind them and in front of them in lines waiting for a coffee or, or, or whatever it is. And, as I've walked through their houses, the Lord has just, I don't know, it's, there is this one recurring theme, and it's not a statement, but it's a question that Jesus asked a lawyer. He asked the lawyer, who then is his neighbor? And I felt that, even yesterday, yesterday, my family, we were, we were out and about doing things, and it was time for lunch, and so we got in the car, and I asked everybody, okay, what do you want for lunch, and there was three different answers, and we're like, okay, and so we, we actually had to stop driving to figure out where we were going to eat. 
That's how dysfunctional deciding where we're going to eat can be in our family. You know why? Because I have an amazing three women in my life that make my life so complete and so whole and so beautiful. And they all know exactly what they want, but there are three different things that they want. And so we had to decipher. And so finally we chose a chicken place. (laughs) Surprise. We chose a chicken place. And so we walk into this chicken place, and we're standing in line. And we're just standing there. I'm talking to my wife. My girls are screaming in the bathroom. Um, and we're just standing there. And this man that I know, he's a real estate agent here. He's been in this area for a long time. And I've done business with He walks by me. And it, it, I looked up, and there he was. And he said, hey, how you doing? I said, hey, good. How are you? And I, I just patted him on the back. He walked by, and that was it. In that moment, I felt the Lord, who then is his neighbor. You know what, and I don't, I don't know that man outside of our business connection. He seems to be well-blessed. God has given him favor in his, in his business. But I don't know what happens when he goes home and he lays down at night. I don't know if he's tormented. I don't know if he's struggling. I don't know, I don't know those things. Only God does, and he does. But I felt the question hit me. Standing in that line, waiting to order chicken, who then is his neighbor? And the story I'm talking about is the Good Samaritan. And at the end, the lawyer answers Jesus' question. Jesus says, who then is his neighbor? And the lawyer answers, he says, the one that showed him mercy. The one that showed him mercy. And I have, I have thought that God is doing this or doing that. But over the last several months, as he has dropped visine into my spirit, I have begun to realize there is a clear path. There is a clear calling. There is a clear purpose and it is for the church to show mercy because our world around us is in desperate need of the mercy of God. And you see all of this plays out as Jesus tells this man a story. In Luke chapter 10 verse 29 he says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied to him, he said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I love how Jesus doesn't answer his question. He's like, who's my neighbor? Well, you know, there was this man. Have you ever had somebody answer your question with a long story? You're like, why couldn't you just tell me Joe? Joe's my neighbor. You know, why can't you? Uh, I love how Jesus does that. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. You see, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was a very treacherous road. It was a dangerous road road to travel. And this man was noted to be traveling alone, which was unwise. 
It wasn't smart for him to be traveling by himself on this road that was so treacherous. But it makes me wonder how many people that we eat at restaurants next to and we, we walk beside it, or we pass by in a, in, in a grocery store or we were a coworker or a friend or a family member. How many people are just like this man? How many people that we see on a regular basis are traveling down a treacherous road all by themselves? How many are walking down this road and they feel all alone and they feel empty and, they, and, and, and they, there's something of value in their life, but they don't even realize it. And there's something precious about their life, but they don't even realize it. And they travel and they walk down this road of life all by themselves. And we pass them every day and we see them on a regular basis. And all they're needing is a touch of mercy in their life. And so, you see, this road between Jerusalem and Jericho was mostly traveled by convoy or caravan. And I don't believe the detail of the man traveling by himself was lost on Jesus as he told this story. You see, if we look around us, many of the people that we see on a regular basis are just like this man. They are prey they are targets, and they don't even know it. They are vulnerable to the enemy, and they are oblivious to it. And we work with people. We see people. We, we live next to people that have been stripped, beaten, and have been left for dead. You see, this man, after he was stripped by the robbers and after he was left dead and, and beaten, his, the fate of his life was now out of his own hands. It was going to take an outward impact and influence if this man was going to make it. And I would wonder, I do wonder, this morning as I drove over to the church, I drove through, I didn't take the interstate, I drove through the neighborhoods, and I wondered as I drove by the houses, how many people are waking up feeling stripped of all hope? I wonder how many people are feeling beaten down by life and by circumstances. And, 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 and I know what we can say is, well, it's, it's, it's his own fault. He should have never been walking by himself. And, and those people, well, they're beaten because of their own, their own decisions. And, and, and it's their own fault. And they, they, they chose this, and they made an unwise choice. Yes, yes, I know all that, but so were we. See, I understand all that, but, but so were we. We were just like them. There was a time in our life where we were beaten down by poor choices and mistakes that we made in our life. And so his survival depended upon someone else, someone who was willing to take the time to stop, someone who was willing to invest in a mess. Man, someone who is willing to alter their own plans for the sake of a stranger. You see, in this city, this city is filled with people that have been stripped of all hope. This city is filled with people that have been stripped of their dreams and stripped of their value. 
and they've been beaten down by guilt and shame and mistakes, and they've been left for dead, and they lie on the side of the road. And so this city doesn't need another priest, another pastor, or another parishioner. They need a Samaritan that can be inconvenienced by compassion. They need somebody who will be moved to the point of stopping what they're doing and understanding that this is not just about me and my agenda, but there is something greater going on here. And the man on the road is in need, and the man on the road is in desperate need of some attention. And I know it's going to take an investment, and I know it's not going to be always wonderful, and I know it may be a little bit messy, but you know what? When Jesus found me, I I was a wreck. When Jesus found me, I was a mess. When Jesus found me, I wasn't worthy of mercy. I was worthy of him just walking on by. But somebody stopped. Somebody felt and was moved with enough compassion to stop. And so Jesus continued the story in verse 33. He said, but a Samaritan, and there's a whole message in that statement there, but a Samaritan, because this man on the road was a Jew, You say, well, good thing is we don't think that way anymore. Unfortunately, we do. Unfortunately, we do. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, which meant that the Samaritan walked. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I get back. Verse 33 says that the Samaritan had compassion on him. And that that phrase, he had compassion, is a reference to being moved to the very central core of a person's emotion. Something so affected this Samaritan, this man, that his own soul, his own spirit, his own mind could not carry him past that man. I wonder in the busyness of our lives, has the man on the road ever moved us to that kind of compassion? What is today? I don't know, but God has put something in me that I just want to release to you. And it's up to you whether you receive it or not. I can't force it upon you, but all I can do is just share the burden that has been placed because I look around and I drive around and I live around people. And, and, and let me tell you, I'm just as guilty as anybody. I am not here standing on a podium of perfection, but I am just here relaying what God has put in my heart in 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 I have lived two houses down from a house that is chaotic. I have lived two houses down that is in a neighborhood that has nine different types of police officers and that's the only house that a police officer don't live but is there on a regular basis. I have lived two houses down from a house that chooses in the middle of the night to rev up their engine to to sound levels that would you can hear three blocks away. And I have gotten frustrated, and they have been the source of irritation, and I have gotten mad, and I have picked up the phone, and I've called the police, and I've... 
You're like, you? Yeah, I have. And I've seen him on his hands and knees while a police officer was in the front yard with his weapon pulled. I've seen it two houses down. And I've stood on my yard and go, I wish they would move. God, move us. Then one day, one day, standing out in my front yard with my wife, my girls are riding their bikes down the sidewalk. And this man, this convict, is mowing my neighbor's grass. He gets done mowing and he walks out and grabs a broom and he's sweeping the grass and he's weed-eated and mowed. And my wife, I love it how God uses my wife. She's like, you know, you got to blow her. Glad you noticed. You see, she's felt the frustration too. She's felt unsafe to let my kids out in the front driveway because of what's going on over there. She said, You got a blower. Why don't you go hand it to him? <sighs> yeah, I thought of that too. <laughs> so I walk into the garage, I get my blower, and I walk over to him. And there's this, because there's been times where they got all kinds and all all kinds of hell going on in their house. And they'll look over and they'll see us. This supposedly perfect little house staying in the front yard gawking. Y'all crazy. And I walked over and you could feel there was a little bit of tension. And I said, hey, man, I, I noticed. And I handed them the deal and. God works in mysterious ways. In the first word, he goes, aren't you a preacher? <laughs> nope, that's the other guy. <laughs> and I, it, it, was like, uh, it was like God hit me square in the chest. And I went, yes, 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 I am. And he said, yeah, me and my wife, and he began to tell me his story. He said, me and my wife, I've been telling her we need to go back to church. We need to find a church. We need to find a church. And I sat there for about, I don't know, five minutes. And this man that I had so much irritation toward, this man that I didn't want living two houses down from me, began to weep and cry in, in the driveway and I was so convicted. And I realized we're living in a world that is so broken and bruised and hurt and wounded and stripped and left for dead. And I realized in that moment that that man doesn't need somebody who is religious. He needs Jesus. 
he doesn't need he doesn't need uh, for me to sit there and, and, and tell him how how much he's wrong and and, and 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 all of this and point out all of his faults and failures. He needs to feel maybe for the very first time in his life the touch and the embrace of m- the mercy of God, the mercy of a Father who wraps us, the mercy of a heavenly Father who holds us in His hands, who wraps His arms around our life, and we live every day understanding and feeling that peace, but we are surrounded by people that are, that are existing in torment, and all they're looking for is a Samaritan that would stop. The city doesn't need more religious people. The city needs people who have been empowered and emblazoned by the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's what this city needs. They need people who have felt the divine encompassing of the baptism of his spirit and who understands how redemption works and understands how mercy works and understands how grace works. That's what this city needs because it needs people who are willing and committed to operating out of the basis of a relationship with Jesus because it is the relationship with Jesus that puts mercy into motion in our life but it is the religion or the religious that neglects the office of mercy it is the relationship with Jesus that gives the hopeless a light a glimmer a glimpse of hope but it is the religious that cannot be bothered with the mundane of messy life. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be religious. I want to be a messenger for Jesus Christ. I want to show mercy because I have been given much mercy. I want to show forgiveness because I have been given forgiven much. The priest and the Levite are mentioned. You know why the priest and the Levite are mentioned? Because those two offices traveled that road more than anybody else. And those men were the people who, because of the nature of their office, were most obliged to perform works of mercy. But yet, they kept walking. I don't want to be religious. You know why? Because Heather, Heather, this young lady wrote a bio of herself, about herself, and the first three words she used to describe her life was broken and angry. Heather is the man on the road. I wonder how many Heathers we walk by every single day in your life. How many Heathers do you work with? How many Heathers do you see on a regular basis? You see, mercy does not flow from the seat of an earthly office. Mercy flows from the life that is firmly positioned at the foot of the cross. That's where mercy flows. Because mercy flowed 
from Calvary because there was compassion of the cross. Jesus hung on that cross out of compassion for you and I. And it was compassion, his compassion for us that moved him to, to, to hang there and allow his side to be to be pierced and the blood to flow. And so when I position my life at the foot of the cross and when I bow at his feet, I can then be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, his mercy is activated and released in my life. Then and only then from the position of the foot of the cross can I show mercy to those who are wounded and broken and stripped and beat. But you see, the religious world has left and forsaken the foot of the cross for the hand of blessing. And the church as a whole stands at his hands desiring only blessings. And when you stand at his hands and desire only blessings, you forsake the power experienced at his feet. Because when I bow at the feet of Jesus and when I find myself positioned at the foot of the cross, it is there in that place I begin to understand who I really am. That had it not been for his grace and his mercy. And it helps me to see people in a different light. It helps me to see, you see, if all I'm looking for is the hand of blessing, then I'll never see people the way Jesus sees them. I'll never view them through the lens of compassion. I'll never view them through the lens of his perfect love that he shared and showed for you and I. Hosea, the prophet Hosea wrote in Hosea 6, 6, he says, for I Desired mercy, not sacrifice, not religious tradition. I don't want your religious traditions. I want mercy. He said, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You can offer all the uh, you can you can offer all the burnt offerings you want, and you can make all the sacrifices. But he told Samuel, he said, Samuel, I desire obedience. I desire mercy more than I desire anything else that you can do for me. Because this city is filled with children who find themselves physically, emotionally abused. These children are the man on the road. And the busyness of our lives, the busyness of our lives, the attendance to church, the title of Christians can lead us into responding to the man on the road from a religious point of view instead of a relationship. Because when we are founded and grounded upon a relationship, we will be moved with compassion at the very core of our being and we will not be able to pass him by. 
because you see, I, I, I see people and I hear people praying and asking God to release his power in their life. And I wonder what has brought them to that point. But let me tell you this, and I've made this statement before. It is the action of you walking in his purpose that releases his power. People pray for the power of God to be manifest in their lives, but never give thought to his purpose in their life. God, show me your power. Show me your power. Show me your power. Well, let me ask you this. Are you walking in his purpose? Are you doing, and only you can answer this, and I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody here today, but I'm asking a question. Are you doing what you feel like God has called you to do, or are you just a church attender, or are you just a, a titled Christian, or are you just a religious person? You see, this world doesn't need more religious. We have religion running out of our ears because religion saves no one. It is the power of his spirit operating in people who have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that changes lives. And so at the end of my life, if I never attain to becoming like Jesus, I hope it can at least be said that I was like this Samaritan. Because that Samaritan did not have the title, did not have the office, and did not even have the cultural right to stop. But none of that stopped him from investing in a life that cost him his coat, his animal, and two weeks of salary. When's the last time? as you stand. When's the last time that something so, or let me ask you this way, when is the last time that the man on the road moved you, affected you so much that you were moved with compassion. You see, the power of this parable was in the action of the Samaritan because he was the only one in the story that allowed mercy to flow through him. God has blessed us. I look around and there are blessings abound in this place. Is life perfect? No, never will be. But there are blessings. I want you to close your eyes. And I know, again, I know this is different. But you see... This morning, my invitation is not to self-evaluate. My invitation is not to 
respond to repentance. I ask you this morning if you could be moved with compassion for a life, for a soul, for someone who is broken and angry and hurting and wounded, beaten down, stripped of everything that is valuable in their life, left for dead. Could we be so moved this morning on behalf of someone else? So I ask you, if you could picture one person in your mind, one person that would symbolize would be a symbol of the man on the road. I wonder what you would be willing to do for that person this morning. I'm not talking about give money. God will open that door when the time comes. But you see, we're the church. And there was a difference between those that were the original church, the disciples and those. There was a difference between them and the religious. Because the world don't need no more religion. They need the mercy of Jesus Christ to flow in their life. And so I ask you, this morning, I, I I wonder if you could be moved with compassion this morning to step out from where you're at and come up around the, this altar in this building, not to cry out for your own soul, but to cry out for the man on the road, to cry out for a soul that you know has been wounded a soul that has been bruised and beaten, a life that has been stripped of everything valuable. I wonder if you would be willing to step out and show the kind of mercy that the Samaritan showed the man on the road this morning. And come up around this front and cry out and intercede and call on God for someone else. Can we stand in the gap for somebody here today? Has God put somebody on your li- in your life or on your mind or on your heart and you really haven't thought more about it, but today I wonder if you could stand in a place, I wonder if you could stand or kneel or bow at the feet of the cross for that soul today and stand in the gap for them and and cry out for the mercy and the grace of God to to be spared in their life, to be revealed and released in their life.
wonder if we could just intercede for a few moments here for another soul, for somebody other than ourselves, and for somebody else to be blessed instead of us and somebody else to be changed and somebody else to be drawn closer to him. Can we be so moved this morning for the man on the road?